Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine, perfectly orchestrated destiny for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right, so we are going to, we, my lovely bride and I, of 25 plus years. This is why I'm a professional communicator. Because I have convinced her to stay with me for 25 years. Think about how amazing I am with language. I'm trying to think Paul says we do not use eloquency of language in the gospel. But I can assure you, I use eloquency of language in marriage. And she smiles. All right. Who is uh, the first vict- uh, contestant? Okay. I've been reading this week on a, a book about the end times. Oh, Lord. Oh, no, this is good. This is actually right off of Soul Success. That's why I'm bringing it up. Okay. So, we'll see. You, you ever heard of a guy named Rick Renner? Mm-hmm. Okay. Say it again. Sorry. A Rick guy Renner. named Rick Renner? Yep, Rick Renner is a great minister of the gospel. Okay. He uh, quoted out of Isaiah 60, 1 and 2. Uh-huh. Talking about, well, when you go look at some of the other commentaries, they talk about... These two, uh, chapter 60, verses 1 and 2, to be something about what happened during the time that Israel was a nation back in the old days. But he says it's not. He says that, I'm going to read it to you. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness covers the earth, and total darkness the people. But the Lord will shine over you, and his glory will appear over you. And he says that this is an outpouring at the end of the, the, during the end of the age of the Holy Spirit to manifest on his people to proclaim the gospel. And I want your opinion on that. Rick Renner is, a, is an incredible theologian. Um, those of you that don't know, his ministry is... Um, I read a little bit of his stuff nearly every day because he goes into the, into the original language, the ancient Greek, and tears stuff out of there that is just amazing, um, which then obviously gives an opportunity to speak to you in the language that the writers of the New Testament intended for things to be spoken to you. Having said that, after I've just said Rick Renner's awesome, I disagree. Because we've done such a great job of downplaying 
and I, and I mean this, because we've done such a great job of downplaying the resurrection and Pentecost, we have made it Christian cool to look forward to someday that's greater than the resurrection and greater than Pentecost. If there's a day that's greater than resurrection and a day that's greater than Pentecost, Jesus failed. If your theology includes some magical unicorn day with pixie dust, that everything is going to be super awesome in the twinkling of an eye, then you have subjugated your responsibility to the gospel, which is you are the light of the world. If this world is dark, you've just told on yourself. I'm not there. It says in in Habakkuk, uh, I think it's it's either 2.4 or 4.2, it says that the glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. I don't know if you have ever thought about like that. Sometimes we think like God talks poetically, like the waters cover the sea. No, I want you to think about how do waters cover a sea? It's intense. The only reason it's a sea is because it's water. So how much does the waters cover the sea? Completely. The knowledge of the glory of God is going to cover the earth as water covers seas. Now, Moses originally prophesied this back in, I think it was Deuteronomy chapter 14, where God said that my glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And then Habakkuk comes later on, just before Jesus arrives, And says the knowledge of the glory of God is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. It's different for the glory of God to cover the earth than it is for the knowledge of the glory of God to cover the earth. One of the disheartening things that I see in my Christian life, not even talking about as a minister, I'm just talking about in my Christian life, is the illiteracy of Scripture that is in the body of Christ. There's absolutely no way that the knowledge of the glory of God is going to get into our earth when we can't find a book in the Bible. We don't have a clue what our Father has said. And I'm not... I don't live with any of y'all. I have no idea. Everyone in here could be a theologian. Everyone in here could be dense. I don't know. I'm just saying... Generally, in the body of Christ, people are literally illiterate to the Scriptures. They don't have the first clue as to what's written in there, why, or its impact in our lives. And we wonder why the enemy can literally buffet us to death. If if Jesus himself had to take the Word of God to defeat the enemy, 
Jesus. Jesus. The name above all names, the, the peak of all authority, the peak of all wisdom, knowledge, operated in the, in the Spirit better than any person ever in the planet, ever. If, it took G, if Jesus had to use Scripture to defeat the enemy, how arrogant are you to think that you're just going to randomly float through life and resist and pay attention to what CNN and Fox News has to say what's going on in the world because if you listen to them gross darkness is covering our earth and they make it grosser by the day they will on purpose go past an entire field of the most beautiful lilies ever to find one squished worm in the road and show you an entire news story about one squished worm and we buy it we think every city in America is on fire because BLM and Antifa is burning them to the ground. It's like a handful of places. And it is one of the most supermajority people in this nation that hate the nation. BLM and Antifa hate the nation. I get it. People have hated our nation for a long time. I, I get that. They are not the majority, y'all. But you will believe that they are. If you listen and watch and hear what the world has to say, they will convince you that there's gross darkness covering this world. And I've heard preachers say, God bless them, well-intended preachers that really think that God's plan is for this whole world to be the most terrible place ever, to be completely trashed, just garbage everywhere. People's lives are falling apart. Even the elect would fall. And then Jesus is going to come in and, and rescue or pull us out which is terrible doctrine, that he's going to take the sons of God out of the earth like, and leave them to their cesspool wickedness. God loves people. <laughs> if your theology, if your eschatology, if your doctrines, if they don't fit in the love of God that was so permeating that Jesus lowered himself to become a human to rescue humanity, then your theology, your doctrine, and especially your eschatology is jacked up. And you need to bring it back into what is congruent with the heart of the Father. The end is the victory. The, if you haven't read the back of the book, like it's some of the most victorious language in Scripture. That's what we're headed for. And God doesn't do roller coasters. He's not going to take the entire world into the deepest cesspool and then, yay, surprise. He's always, if you go through the Old Testament, he was always stirring up a prophet to tell the people, hey, 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 get right. Get right. If you don't get right, stuff is going to get bad. He's always trying to keep people from getting wrong. And the good thing about the New Testament is God always has a spirit-filled remnant that will listen to him and will fight for the truths that he is declaring across the entire nation. Amen. I could preach that. Not today. Uh, I'll do it later. Maybe. She's, Kay's not really the eschatological kind of gal. So, all right. Uh, I will take, we will take another question though. Did that help?
<laughs> I super love Rick. This, these are, I'm not saying that those questions are off limits, but when you ask me to comment on some other preacher, it's just awkward for me because I, love, I get tons of value from all over the world. I can, a really, really um, pure-hearted Catholic who understands something I don't understand, it would be the epitome of pride and arrogancy for me to think that there's somebody out there that can know something that I don't know. So I study <laughs> a lot. And I'll take it from any... If it's true, I don't care where it's coming from. If God needs to use a donkey to tell me truth, bring her home. I don't care. And so, I, so I'd say, like, I super appreciate all these other ministers that are in the body of Christ, but I don't necessarily preach every, appreciate every single thing they say about every single subject. So I don't want anybody to come out here, well, Steve thinks Rick Renner is from hell. Like, that's not what I said. <laughs> don't go there. All right, <laughs> next question. Okay, so with everything that's been happening since March, um, obviously a lot of relationships have been put in tension with each other that shouldn't be in tension. And I'm going to speak specifically about marriage. So I am so thankful for all of you because I swear I felt like there was only ten of us that believed the way that we believe. (laughs) And um, a lot of the places I'm at... It does seem that way still when I'm not here. And I want to encourage them when I'm seeing um, a division between a husband and a wife about going to church or about what the right stance is on COVID or any of that kind of stuff. And I just wondered if you had some foundational encouragement that could be given to them because the husband's the head of the household. I get all that. and But how does it all play together? What do you think? I'll let Kay start. <laughs> I'll, I'll wrap up what you say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I guess I'll start with when when the Bible talks about the husband being the head. This is man. I, there are so many. Uh, Marriage is a big, fat, hairy caterpillar, and I don't, I can't turn the entire thing into a butterfly real quick in ten minutes. When the Bible talks about the husband being the head of the household, first off, the Bible is talking to, man, all Scripture. You need to understand that things were written. From a specific person to a specific person. Context is incredibly important. Context is so... I cannot tell you how important context is. Just like what Clark was talking about. Isaiah 60. What's the context? Is that to come? Is that something that happened when Isaiah was writing it? Or is it something that happened at the change of all time through Jesus Christ? Context is so important. If you don't have context, then you take the text out, all you got left is a con. 
And people get conned all the time because they don't understand context. And so specifically in this verse, the context is um, both Peter and Paul referenced it, and even Jesus alluded to it. The husband, the husband being the head is specifically in context talking about a born-again, spirit-filled, God-loving husband and a born-again, spirit-filled, God-loving wife. <laughs> Anything outside of that, there's going to have to be adjustments. <laughs> I, I meet with people a lot. I'll meet with a, a wife who's fired up about Jesus and her husband is you know, sticking his nose in the air. I'll meet with a husband who really wants to see the kingdom happen in his family and his wife is like, poo-poo on you. When you have a deviation in the one flesh and you go throwing around scriptures, well, you're the head of the house and you're supposed to love me like Christ and you're supposed to... And you're, you, you're going to turn really powerful, wonderful, glorious truths into law, and the law kills. And if you tell someone who does not understand the kingdom, who's a husband, and he's supposed to be the head of the house, where do you want him to lead you, wife? Because <laughs> he can only lead you where he's going. And if you reject Christ... For your husband, that's a bad trade. <laughs> Just a bad trade. If Kay leaves me tomorrow and says, hey, you know what, I'm going to go be a sinner and, and do sinner stuff, and I hate you, and, and eat a worm. I'll do everything I can with the eloquency of my language. <laughs> and my rugged good looks. To convince her to stay. But if she chooses to leave, my king and the kingdom are more important than Kay. And God put us together. And I'm not giving anybody in this room permission to walk away from your spouse. But you, above all things, you don't have, per, you do not ever have permission to neglect or not make first place the king and the kingdom in your life. Period. COVID, non-COVID, believing spouse, unbelieving spouse, evil workplace, righteous workplace. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. If there's something in your life that doesn't fit in that, you are wrong. And that one thing, or those things, plural, are probably the things that are whooping your tailbone and making you sick and making your soul not operate in prosperity and stealing your finances and jacking you up in a ton of ways. I have had to rebuke parents because they have made their kids like gods in their family. And they'd spend six, seven days a week chasing them around, taking them to stuff, buying them stuff, spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on things that the kids just wanted for 50 seconds. If you worship your kids, then your kids are God. 
And I know these parents are, well, I'm not worshiping them. Uh, you are putting more into that child than you are putting into your king. If you put anything more into any area of your life than your king, you have you are upside down, topsy-turvy, and you will fall over and crash and burn. But you keep Jesus as a focus. The reason that Kay and I have the greatest marriage on the planet, and I dare anybody to, to debate me on that. I'll prove it. <laughs> Mama, don't make me rebuke you in public. The reason that I believe that that Kay and I have the greatest marriage on the planet is because she is she adores Jesus and is more committed to him than anything in her life. And I adore Jesus and I am more committed to him than anything in my life. And in that place we are in perfect unity in every way we can be in unity. If either one of us deviates which is usually me. Not always true. She. Um, it's real easy to fix. Because that just means that I'm off with Jesus. I'm not off with her. Because if I'm aligned with Jesus and she's aligned with Jesus, then all we've got to do is stay aligned with Jesus. And by default, we are in perfect unity. All right. So the context was COVID and going to church and all that kind of stuff. So here's my bottom line. If you don't go to church because of COVID, then uh, Jesus is not king. He's not Lord. And I'm going to say this publicly. I've been wanting to say this like as a Facebook post, but it's too much in your face. So being like right in the middle of a YouTube where some people watch, some people don't. I'm going to say this. If you haven't been to church in nine months, you're probably not saved. If you can forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is a command from the Lord, and you can do that for nine months, it wasn't that important anyway. And I know there's a ton of people like, oh, hey, 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 hey. Okay, can, can you go nine months without breathing? Can you go nine months without food, without water? Without even washing laundry? Buying a new pair of shoes? I mean, uh, think about it. People that say that Jesus is Lord. <laughs> and I know in America you say Lord and people are like, whatever. But in the Bible, Lord is Lord. Like, Lord. Everyone bows to Lord. If Jesus is Lord... And you're not doing some of the simplest things that he asked you to do? Which, like, is the gathering together of the saints. You're super safe in here. I don't know of anybody that got COVID and had a rough time. It's amazing. When we resisted COVID, it fleed, fled, fleed, fled. Which is biblical. The Bible says resist the devil, he'll flee. Um, if you don't resist the devil, like if you stay home and you're scared of COVID. You know, lions can smell like fear and blood. 
I actually have a stat on my wall. Um, I did some research on lions because my, my daughter, my baby girl, bought me a big poster of a lion that's roaring, and I love it. I look at it all the time. And uh, so I did some, some facts on lions. A lion can smell a wounded animal from like three and a half miles away. And they can smell fear. Fear has a smell. I don't know if you know that or not. And if someone in your family is inviting fear into your family, I would encourage you to do everything you can to get that out. I'm not saying go rebuke your spouse and tell them you're going to leave them or divorce them or you know what, do something terrible to them, because that is not the kingdom. The kingdom always operates through truth and grace. <clears throat> But if someone's inviting fear into your family, you have a responsibility to work twice as hard at keeping that fear out of your family than what they're opening the door to. The, it, unity is incredibly important to the Father. In unity, the anointing of God flows. In disunity, the anointing of Satan flows. I'm going to say that again because I know some folks, like Satan has anointing. Oh, yeah. He's got a bunch of oil that'll jack you up. Satan has a spirit. Spirit of Antichrist, spirit of division, spirit of fear, spirit of hatred, spirit of vengeance, spirit, all these things. These are, these are demonic anointings. In unity, Psalm 133 says, in unity, the anointing of God flows. And completely saturates every part of you. In disunity, the anointing of Satan flows and will saturate every part of you. You need to hate disunity. You need to hate fear as if it was a rabid dog coming in to eat your baby. You should be militaristic against those two things. Fear and disunity will kill you. So in a, in a situation where you have two spouses that are in differing places in their level of commitment to the king and the kingdom, these are things that you don't get to have a checklist about. I don't get to tell you, well, if your spouse doesn't like God and you do like God, number one, do this, pray this. Number two, do this, pray this. Number three, it doesn't work that way. You've got to seek the Father. You've got to find out what the roots are. I will tell you this. There is no person on this planet that has more influence in your spouse than you. I can even probably prove this in Scripture. There's no person on this planet or in heaven that has more influence in your spouse than you. So if your spouse is going off, I'll guarantee you that you're number one on God's list of people that are supposed to be stopping that. The second thing I'll say is if your spouse lived with the incarnate Jesus... Would they be acting the way they are? Which usually, this is where people get mad because they're like, no, my spouse is a jerk because they're a jerk. Mm hmm. Because you are perfect. No one's perfect. Proverbs. 
Proverbs 13.10 says that only by pride comes contention. And I have, I have said that scripture to so many people, especially like in marriage context. And they're like, you're right. My husband's in pride. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long session. <laughs> only by pride comes contention. If you have contention with someone right now in your life, you are in pride. Yeah, I know. Everybody, it's usually a standing ovation every time I say that. Which means that you have a ton, 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 ton of things to do before you go complaining about your husband or your wife or whatever, being in fear or scared of the COVID or whatever. We have literally personified the COVID like it's a person that walks around with a sniper rifle. So that unity and allowing the grace and the love of God to flow is of utmost importance. And the best way to do that is to be com- is both of you to be completely committed to the king and kingdom. From that place, everything works out. I promise you. I've done it. The Bible showed you examples of people that have done it all different kinds of ways, trying to prove it. Doesn't matter how much money you got. Has anybody ever paid attention to Hollywood? You can have all the money and fame and notoriety you want, and your marriages can be nuclear. And you can actually like set records how many people you can marry and divorce in a lifetime. You can have all the money, you can have all the fame, you can have all the notoriety, you can have the best looks ever. I know. Because I married her. It's not her looks that are attractive to me. And I'm telling you the facts. It is not when I see, I don't even really pay attention. There's times that she's had like stuff on her face and stuff on her clothes I didn't even pay attention to because I don't even look at it. It goes deeper than that. I'm attracted to something you guys can't see. You being what you're called to do is the best thing you could ever possibly do for your spouse. No matter where they're at. If they're completely all in for God or if they hate God and they're putting pins in a, in a Ouija doll or whatever they're called. It, it doesn't matter. Whatever, the best thing you could ever possibly do for your spouse is be as committed to the king and the kingdom as you possibly can. Because if you live Christ incarnate at your house... It'll change everything. It'll change the paint on the walls. It'll change your dog. It'll ch- uh, there's nothing that it won't change. Nothing that it won't change. Now over to you. I'm just going to say almost probably the same thing he said. But it's always amazing to me how it always boils down to our relationship with Jesus. That it... it that relationship affects everything in our lives. The more intimate we are with Him, the more we have a revelation of who He is, um, the more our marriage is successful. And it's amazing how we each have our own part in that. Now, even though the, the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, it's about Jesus and him understanding that love. I'm supposed to honor my husband as I honor Jesus. It's about Jesus. 
and what that looks like for me and what that looks like for him. And if I start getting, I don't want to say obsessed, but more concerned about him loving me the way Jesus loves the church, if I get more consumed with what he's not doing and how he's doing it, I'm supposed to be consumed with how do I honor him the way I honor Jesus. This, that's his thing. My thing is, am I honoring him the way I'm honoring Jesus? And if I'm not, that is, that is for me. That is for me and my relationship to Jesus to walk that out and to understand that if, if I'm not honoring this, that I'm not honoring him. That's, that's my place. That's the relationship that I have to, uh, I guess, work on. I don't really like that word, but work on. And it's frustrating to me when I see wives, well, if my husband would just, if my husband would just, if he would, um, I'm going to be a little transparent right now. That grates on me. <laughs> Um, and this is Kay talking. Listen, I love, I love you. And if you're dealing with frustration, come vent to me. But that vocabulary coming out of your mouth is not going to last long around me. If you're honestly, truly coming to me for counsel, because it's not about what he's doing; it's about what you're doing. And I know um, we don't like to hear that. We don't. I don't know how many husbands he gets coming to him saying, if my wife would just, if my wife would just. And the whole time the father's just asking that husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And if he would just love her in that way. Steve can testify to this. The more he loves me the way Christ loved the church, the more it's amazing how things that I do just don't bother him so much. Magical. It's amazing. It's just amazing how that happens. Um, so um, going back to the, the, the question, it's about honestly navigating that relationship with him in your role as a wife or as a husband. And through that, you'll know how to navigate the COVID question. If you, you, you and your spouse are on the same page. It's, you're going to be able to navigate the church question. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to flow from that. Uh, a couple of things. People tend to not want truth. And I know that everybody is in here. We do a lot of truth here, and so obviously you're the cream of the crop that's in here. But I can tell you that I know for the fact that everybody in this room, you don't want the truth. Most people don't want truth. They just want to feel good. They want to be justified. Very seldom do I have someone coming to me and say, Hey, Pastor, can you, uh, can you help me fix some of the things that are wrong in my life? Usually it's, let me tell you all the things that other people are doing or how other, how my job this and my finances this and I don't make any sense. When the truth is, is that your life is a perfect fruit of what you plant. 
If you have an awesome, amazing life and all the things in your life are working out really well, good job, gardener. Thumbs up. If things are jacked up in your life, you're the gardener. You planted that stuff. I don't have to be there when you're planting stuff to come to your garden to figure out what you planted. I can say, those look like tomatoes. Did you plant tomatoes? Well, no, I didn't. I don't know how they got there. (laughs) You planted tomatoes. And here's the other thing, too. People are so self-centered and so insecure that they will have massive problems in their lives and they'll still put up their cool Facebook profile picture and pretend like everything's cool. Snap little pictures of their kids doing super cool things and da-da-da-da. We, uh, we have some people that we know um, that uh, their family, this literally happened. On a Friday night, they took pictures. They have um, four kids, I think, three or four kids. Um, they took a bunch of pictures. Their kids were in two different places, and they took all these pictures of all their kids, and they post them on Facebook. Here, we're over here doing this with this. And, and it was such a uh, hard day because we had to rush from this place. We, we all both had, both had to work, and then we had to rush to this place for this kid, and then we rushed over here for this kid. It's just because of how much we're committed, and we love our family. And, and don't you, you know, I'm synopsizing, but don't you see how amazing we have a family, how amazing a marriage, how amazing... On Saturday, they... Uh, we found out they didn't post it. We found out they filed for divorce. Do not think for a second that all this fake, plastic garbage that people put up is for real. There are people in this room that are struggling. And this is the, this is the church, y'all. And if there's people in this room that are struggling, what in the world is the world doing? You know, the divorce rate went up um, 18% during COVID. It was already 51% in the world. Do that math. That means three quarters of all divorces in the world are nuked. All it took was a fake pandemic. It's not even a real pandemic. Not even close to a real pandemic. A fake pandemic nuked 20% of marriages, one out of five. You think that there aren't other things out there that if things are not built on the rock, anything can come along. Jesus told a parable. Two guys built a house. One guy built it on a firm foundation. One guy built it on sand. One of the amazing things, one of my biggest revelations out of that uh, out of that parable is that both them houses were hit by the same storm. The same storm. They could have been neighbors. And I can I can testify to the fact that things that hit our family have little or no impact. The exact same thing, or even lesser things. We've actually have talked. We're like, oh my god, that took them out. Like, man, that was just a Tuesday for us. But I'm for real. Like, some of the things... I've actually... Uh, I'm about to tell on myself. Praise God. Because I, I, I'm right in the middle of a dissertation about being transparent. And I don't want to be transparent right now. 
But I've actually stood in front of people and they've told me some of the problems in their life and I've had to choke back like a giggle. Because I'm like, this is what's <laughs> causing you problems in your life? This is the end of your world? Your dog pooped on the carpet? Shoot the dog. And I know all the dog lovers in here are like, oh my God, I can't believe he said it. Jesus didn't have a dog. One day I'm going to preach. I keep threatening preaching about pets, but I've never done it. That some of the things that, because that what the enemy does, he takes, uh, you ever got a little tiny itty bitty rock in your shoe? You know, you can take 10, 20 steps, no big deal. But you take 100, 200, you'll be ready to saw your leg off with a rusty hacksaw. That's, the, that's how the enemy works. Just a little pebble, a little tiny thing that's in your life, but if it goes over and over and over, that little thing that your wife does when you were first married was super cute. And five years later... You're going to, like, shoot her in her sleep. <laughs> You'd think it doesn't happen. <laughs> there, are, there are things that are going on in people's lives that they love, love, love. It's almost like a, it's like a, a game today. Like, how much can I hide? How much can I keep? from people and the amazing part especially in this environment is if you're actually in this environment and you actually understand the kingdom in any way one the main characteristic of a person truly seated healthily in the kingdom is humility Jesus said I am meek and lowly of heart Jesus said Jesus said you remember that Jesus, the perfect guy, went to his disciples on the last day of his earthly existence and said, My soul is very troubled and I'm very sorrowful even unto death. He was literally asking for help. Jesus. And we think it's the coolest thing in the world for us to hide our problems and keep them behind the shell. Because we don't want anybody to tell us that we could potentially be wrong. I see this a lot in gals. Gals don't want to be wrong. They just want to blame their husbands. Everything in her, everything, because he's the head of the house. It's, easy, it's an easy fix for gals. Well, he's the head of the house. That's why things are jacked up in our house. I'm like, oh, that's amazing how that works. So the unbeliever is guiding the spiritual climate of the house. So darkness is leading light. Yeah, I just got to say that either you ain't got a light or you put it under a basket. Either way, that's on you. Whoever has the highest place of spirituality in the marriage is the one that is shedding the most light. So by default, since you're in here, <laughs> any hooser. <laughs> We better move on before. Actually, y'all are looking I share at me like, thing? What? Who, who's talking? Oh. Hi. Yeah, but you knew it was me. No, I didn't. I just heard a voice of an angel. 
Okay, I'm going to add a little bit. So we're going to take a few more minutes. Oh, a doubler from Kay. Okay. You talk um, about marriage and you get her going, boy, because... I got a little bit of experience. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> one of the things I want to add is the reason why it is so important to the Father for us to have that intimate relationship with Jesus is because, and I think most married couples can testify to this in the room, that our spouses aren't perfect. And they are going to make mistakes. They are, you know, not going to going to love us the way Christ loved the church. Well. You know, husbands aren't going to be honored from their wives the way they should be. And if you don't have that relationship with Jesus for him to come in to those moments when maybe your spouse is not being who they're called to be, and if you don't have that relationship with him to come in and let him love you, let him honor you, you're going to put a a weight and a responsibility on your spouse that's not supposed to be there because you're going to turn them into your savior. You're going to turn them into the person that you have to get love from all the time. That's for you're real. going to turn them into the person that you have to be honored from all the that's time. For real. And when they fail in that, it's going to hurt you. And I and I do I speak from this from experience um, that I have I have had to make this journey from putting so much of my worth and my value into him loving me. That when he didn't, I was a mess. I'm looking at him shake his head like, yeah, she was a mess. Um, it was hard because I did. I, <laughs> I put a lot of my worth and value in him loving me. Um, and I let that happen. That was through lies from the enemy from when I was a little girl. But the more and more I went to God, the more and more I went to my father, the more and more I relied on Jesus for that love, the less and less... Him not loving the way me the way he was supposed to affected me. And that's a big deal. Your spouses are not your saviors. And you cannot put them in that place. You have to go to him for that when they are falling short. So I just want to add that, that. Yeah, that goes a ton too. Anybody that you feel like you need to be valued, you need to get value from, you have put that person above Jesus. Now, I know a bunch of you folks are nodding at me, because that's a true statement, but it's probably not true in our lives. Because we exalt people above Jesus, and so then when those people either don't live up to the, the false pretense that we have raised them to, then we're easily going to condemn them, judge them, throw them away, say terrible things about them. But the other side of that is, is when they don't live up to what we want, then we're, then we have severed what we thought was the ability to flow life into our lives, into our souls. If she don't love me, well then I'm just worthless. If my kids don't fawn over me and give me world's greatest dad mugs and t-shirts, well then I've failed as a father. Well, if that's the truth, then Father God is the greatest failure of all fathers because he's got a ton of kids that don't give a rip about him. It doesn't mean he's a bad father. That means people have their own choices. And the father is secure in his own identity and secure in Jesus and secure in the Holy Spirit enough that if it's just the Trinity, they're fine. And you should be the same way. If it's just you and the Trinity... 
you're fine. You're fine. I promise you. And if you develop that when you're a single person, when you walk into your marriage, it's going to be amazing. Yep. You won't end up in one of those marriages where you're trying to get that person that's going to complete you. I hear this from gals a lot. He completes me. Oh, you're damned. Because he's about as incomplete as you're going to find. And if that completes you, you're a special kind of broken. If you're looking for a person to complete you, then Jesus is not your completer. If you lack something going into a relationship, being in a relationship isn't going to make the lack go away. It's going to accentuate it. (laughs) If you go into a relationship with a deficit, you think the other person has got so much extra that they're going to fix your deficit? No. Due to the fact that they're going into a relationship with you, they have a deficit. When you put two people with a deficit together... Double deficit. You're about to nuke some stuff. I would super encourage you not to do that. That's why the best way, if you're single, the best way for you to find a spouse is to seek Jesus. You'll randomly stumble across them. But if you go seeking a spouse, if you go seeking a mate, good luck. Dogs do it all the time. Since we're on pets. <laughs> All right, uh, one one last question. We could do like a whole series on marriage stuff, on what not to do. <laughs> so when it's time for us to go to heaven, whenever that is, what do you think we experience at that moment? Chariots come get us, Jesus himself, a twinkling light. But what do you, what do you think that is? Yes. <laughs> uh, first of all, let me, let me bring you into some language. I'm not dogmatic about this, so don't you know, get all concerned. Um, I don't like the language go to heaven because then you believe that you're not there. The Bible says you're there. The Bible says right now you are seated in heavenly places. And I know what you're thinking, like, well, this is heaven. (laughs) It's because you are so carnal that all you know is what your five senses tell you and what your soul emotional issues are telling you. Your spirit is seated in heaven. Your spirit is in perfect communion with the Father. Your spirit has all power, all authority. Your spirit is completely whole, completely healthy. And to the degree that you actually believe and live that out, you can have that to whatever dynamic you want to have in your life. When you draw your last breath in your physical body, basically your spirit and your soul just join, or your soul and your body just join your spirit. Your spirit's already there. So you don't die and go to heaven. That language isn't even in the New Testament. In the New Testament, what it talks about is when a believer ceases to breathe, it says they fall asleep. Which is a physical thing. Your body falls asleep. Your spirit never sleeps. I can 
attest to that because last night my spirit was wide awake all night. I had like four dreams last night. And then she woke up a couple of times. Um, your soul, if it's not anchored in the carnality of your flesh, all of a sudden, miraculously, becomes very aware of a lot of spiritual things that it wasn't aware of. So when your body falls asleep, your soul is like angels and spirit and the Father and um, because your flesh no longer has the control that it used to have. So that crossing over, when you draw your last breath, that crossing over is whatever fun, amazing thing that the Father's got cooked up for you. And it could it literally could be a ton of different things. You could you could ride a fiery chariot like Elijah did. You could just fall asleep and end up in a green pasture with lilies and hummingbirds or whatever your thing is. I honestly believe that it's it's going to be so personalized and unique to you that it wouldn't be as exciting to me as it would be to you. Because that's how the Father is. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's a personalized part of this that people think that they just want an outline how to do all these kind of things. They really don't. You actually want this thing to be intimate and personal with the Father. Some of the principles carry over, but you don't want it. You don't want Steve's salvation. You want yours that the Father has for you. You're not going to get that from doing everything that I did in my life. You might learn some things both ways, what to do, what not to do. But the Father has a unique experience for you. So when you go to cross over, which, by the way, has to be at least past 70. If, you, if a person dies before they're 70, they were killed by the enemy. The Bible promises even the weakest of the weak Christians live to be 70. And the Bible actually promises 120. If you die before 70, you are killed. If you die between 70 and 120, you're a sissy. I'm going to pay for that one. And I know you might a bunch of people get super mad when you hear things like that. Well, my mom died when she was 35 and she was a good person. I didn't say they were a bad person. And here's another thing, too. Let me just make this statement and move on because I want Gay to put her opinion on it. Um, good people don't go to heaven and bad people don't go to hell. <laughs> I know. That's why I said, like, I'm going to just drop it and move on. Being good doesn't make you go to heaven. There's a ton of good people in hell. A ton. And there is a ton of bad people in heaven. And if that causes problems for you, it's because you don't understand grace, you don't understand the forgiveness of God, you don't understand the love of God. The only thing that makes a person go to heaven is receiving forgiveness. In Mark chapter 7, I would encourage everybody to study that. Mark chapter 7, a prostitute shows up in a Pharisee's house. And the Pharisee thought he was all that in a bag of chips. And a prostitute shows up 
and completely humbles herself. And one of the greatest displays of love that the Scriptures have. And she was justified and the Pharisee wasn't. The guy who was hosting the party that was throwing the big to-do to honor Jesus got zero recognition. And the whore, who was probably still filthy from what she did, walked in there and was perfectly forgiven and justified. That is radical. Good people go to hell. Bad people go to heaven. I know that's not what you heard in Sunday school, but you don't understand the grace of God. If you understood the grace of God, it would absolutely, completely, radically change your concepts towards God. Go. I actually don't really have anything to add to that. I don't... (laughs) My wife doesn't want to talk. That's not surprising to anybody in this room, actually. So... I don't um, actually spend a whole lot of time thinking, thinking about, about that. <laughs> Honestly, there are other things that I'm, I want more a revelation on than, than that. Not that I'm saying it's wrong. Obviously, it's not wrong to think about what it's like in heaven. That's a pretty awesome thing to think about. Just not just something I super meditate on a whole lot, so I don't really have anything to add. You do need to, every once in a while, you need to throw a few seconds that way. It says in First John chapter 3, I think it's verse 3, it says, Anybody that has this hope in them purifies themselves even as they are pure. When you, when you see things undefiled, the heavenly reality of things, it actually creates a purification on the inside of you. Because this world has a way of dirtying you. Jesus said that it makes your feet dirty. It doesn't make you dirty. It doesn't make you spotted or you wrinkled. It just makes your feet dirty because your feet are what's touching the planet. And so there's a washing, a regeneration of the Word and of the Spirit that takes place because sometimes dust gets on you. And one of the good ways to get the dust off you is to just close your eyes and go there. I do it daily. I'll close my eyes and I go hang out with my father. I probably should do it more. And if you think that's weird, then you don't know what prayer is. <laughs> prayer is not taking a bucket list to God and telling Him all the things He needs to do, like He's your employer and you need a raise. Prayer is communication. It's intimate. So a bunch of times, I'll just close my eyes and I go hang out with my Father. And a bunch of times, I don't say a word because what He has to say is way better than what I have to say anyway. And you can do it right now. I could have everybody close your eyes and you could picture the Father and you could cross through the veil of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and we could all be seated with Him and experiencing Him in this moment. But when church goes six minutes long, people are like, okay, got lunch to do. I know none of you. Other people. (laughs) And that's why sometimes we don't experience what we need to experience. We just can't slow down and stop with this carnality and fleshliness of life to ever experience those spiritual things. So then when you don't experience those spiritual things, there's no reason on the inside of you to ever want to go for more of those things. And so you just push more into the natural. And you think if you get a little bigger house or a little bigger TV, 
or a little better spouse, well, then everything will work out. None of that stuff is going to satisfy. Only Jesus satisfies. Everything else is like candy. Tastes good for a second, but then it rots your teeth and makes you get bubble guts. That's what it does. And there's a bunch of studies on what sugar, how terrible sugar is for you. And having said that, we're having a bake sale right after... (laughs) But we've prayed over all that sugar. So it'll be... I can't even say it'll be good for you. I just can't even... I can't bring myself... Uh, Anything in small amounts is okay. If you eat the whole table, we will be praying for you. But if you buy one thing and you pay for like five things, think of all the benefit. We get it into the building fund. You get one small thing. It's very sweet. It's one of the things you learn when you do mission trips is how much sugar America is addicted to. You go taste food in other countries, you're like, what's wrong with this food? Oh, it's unadulterated. It's actual food. (laughs) We don't know how that works. All right, I would like to bless you. If you will allow me. Kay and I will be some of the last people to leave the building. If we stirred up some stuff and you didn't want to ask it on a microphone, I totally get that. But please don't let things stay in your life that shouldn't stay there. Kay and I will be some of the last people out, so if we stoke something that was specific that Kay and I, you're welcome to come to us. We've got nothing to do today but you. All right. Uh, I believe that I'm like a patriarch, like a father of the house, and so something that was really, really important that they used to do that we don't do anymore in our Americanized culture is bless the children. I'm not calling you a child, and I'm not saying I'm awesome. I'm just saying that in the spirit as a, as a patriarch, it is super important for me to make sure that you do not leave here without me declaring over you what the Father believes about you. Thank you so much for sharing a few minutes with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of this precious, life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is a place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. Beloved, you who are greatly loved by the Father, I pray, I desire above all things that you prosper and you experience divine health to the degree that you allow that to saturate and prosper your soul. I pray that you receive these words and they change every aspect of your life. I love you. I'll see you again soon. Thank you.